concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together. Hey, listen, can we just do this for me? I want to give Brooklyn a hand again. She's. 13 years old singing that song for us this morning. So great. Wow, wow, wow. So next weekend is our annual uh, baby and dedication and baptism and brunch. And um, it's, it's that Sunday we do that every year. And it will look nothing like this, I promise. Uh, I guess unless you... <laughs> Unless you really want it to, that'd be fine. Although I will say that my outfit that I've picked out for next week looks a lot like this one. So, but uh, it's always a great time to celebrate and to be together in a different place, in a different setting. And I really hope that you're planning on being there. You won't regret it, I promise. It's really great. So it's also that time of year when I get a lot of questions about baptism. Like, what is it? Why do we do it? Was it for? And every year on this Sunday, the Sunday before, uh, we consider one of these questions. And, um, but a, a couple things happened. I had a few conversations in the last week or so that really made me think maybe we should take a little bit different direction with this uh, this year. So two different folks from our community uh, communicated with me last week, really beautiful messages. Like God has dramatically changed their life. Um, through the gospel of grace of Jesus. And it's a beautiful, this beautiful reality that there's nothing we can do to get God on our side because God is already on their side, on our side. And, and, and this, of course, is always really great to hear. But then one of them expressed, when they expressed an interest in baptism because they knew that this was coming up, and, and a third person actually got in touch with me this week and said the same thing, um, that they're interested, and then both of them essentially shared the same hesitation. They said something very close to, I want to be baptized, but I don't think I'm qualified. And so this morning, I'd like to add this to our list of questions. Who is it for? Who is it for? Who is invited? Who qualifies? Who can be baptized? So the last few weeks, um, around, centered around the 4th of July, we've been talking about freedom, specifically what the grace of God frees us from and what the grace of God frees us for. Two weeks ago, we considered the Old Testament story of the Exodus and how between every Egypt and every promised land, there is a desert. And we, I think, know that this is true in real life, right? Like there are no shortcuts in life. Between the places where we feel trapped or stuck or hopeless and being free from all of that, there's almost always a long walk, a path that we have to travel to freedom. And we discovered how life then in this view is really an opportunity to walk this sometimes desert path to freedom, but to do that together. 
And as we do that together, and as we trust in God's grace along the way, we're being transformed step by step. So then last week, Paul shared about what we are free for, and he used another map. Uh, And to a large extent, we are set free for freedom's sake. That is, to be a part of God's mission. To set and see everyone live free. So in the life of Jesus, what we see is, is he is always leading his followers to the other side of the lake. Constantly looking for and moving toward those who've been left out and left behind. Now, taken together, these two maps, the story of Exodus and the, and the story of Mark, really kind of lay out what I would call like the landscape of human freedom. It's both a long path, what we're free from, it takes time, it takes transformation, it takes a tribe and togetherness, and also what we're free for, a mission. And these stories, I think, have been instrumental for the life of Storyline. We are a community committed to those who are not here. Our hope is that when you hear that song by Brooklyn, we're all thinking the same thing, like, oh, I know someone who would have loved that. Like, we're hoping that that breaks our hearts for people who are on the other side of the lake or for people who are still trapped or stranded in Egypt. Can we create and cultivate a place and a space where we all believe there are people that I know and love who would love this? That's essentially what we're trying to do when we're together on a Sunday morning. So we're continually asking the question, what can we do? Where can we go? What can we sing? What can I show? (laughs) To seek out those who are not yet on this long walk to freedom. So this is what we are free for, to live out God's life of grace together for everyone, everywhere, every day. And I love how the message translation of the Bible explains baptism because I think it really echoes these two formative stories for us. This is what the Bible says. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we picked up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. We went under the water. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, It's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. It's a beautiful passage, right? It sounds great, but again, who is this for? Who is invited? Who qualifies to be baptized and to walk this path and live out this mission of grace. There is an author by the name of Lisa Turkhurst, and she claims that most of us have a strong idea of what we want to do in life, or what we wanna do with our life, and, and who we want to become in life. It might not be specific, it might be a little vague, but it's strong, it's in there, and we know that. But so often we're held back by a simple two-word phrase that echoes in our heads and our heart. And that phrase is, but I. But I. I want to, but I don't think I can do it. I want, I'd like to, but I don't think it's in me. I want to work out and get in shape, but I am tired. It would be great to get into some kind of group and form deep and meaningful relationships, but I am introverted. I wanna live relaxed and confident, but I am a warrior, I'm just anxious. I know I should eat kale and tofu, but I love maple donuts and bacon, and especially maple bacon donuts. By the way, who invented this, Satan himself? Like, what is up? with this, (laughs) they're so good, oh my gosh. Anyways, I think we all have, we've all experienced the power of these two words, but I. In fact, it's such a universal experience with with human beings, it actually comes up in the Bible all the time. And it's usually as an excuse 
disguised as an explanation. You know, like when we know we want to do something or we should do something, that we're being invited, we're being called to do something, but we also don't want to do it, right? So let me give you some examples in the Bible. God told Moses, in the story that we talked about two weeks ago, to go to, to confront Pharaoh, and Moses replied, but I am slow of speech. God comes to Gideon and says, deliver my people, and Gideon snaps back, but I'm the least of my family. God tells Jeremiah, go to the people, I want you to be a prophet for me, and Jeremiah responds, but I don't know how. God wants Esther to deliver her people from this homicidal king, and Esther says, but I haven't even gotten an invitation to see the king in over a month. God wants Abraham to become a father of a nation, but I'm too old. Jesus invites Peter to put his nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter says, but I already tried that all night. Over and over and over, we see these two words in the Bible. And over and over again, I think we hear these two words in our life. Essentially, it is self-disqualification. We all hear that, but I. I shared this story not long ago, but for years I spoke at Young Life clubs and Young Life camps, and from time to time I would get asked to speak in other venues, maybe at a conference or a banquet or at churches, and I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it. I knew I was supposed to do it, but I, but I, but I always found a but I. And finally, a group of friends, my best friends in the world, many of them are here this morning actually, challenged me to stop saying, but I, and just say yes. Just say yes. For one year, just say yes. And so I did. And one opportunity led to another opportunity. And then at the end of that year, one Sunday, I found myself speaking to a small group of about 10 people. That was 20 years ago, and that group became this one. And I, I just hesitate to think what would have happened if I continued with the but I. I know what it is to self-disqualify. I think we all do. I know what it is to dance to this soundtrack of our life when it's but I, where we always have a reason, we always have an excuse, we always self-disqualify. And I know that there are more than two people here this morning that have a deep sense that God is at work in your life in a new and profound way. Because you've shared it with me personally, you've texted me, you've emailed me, I know there are more than two. And I'll bet as soon as you consider that maybe baptism is the next step, as soon as that thought comes into your head, you're also hearing, but I, right? but I'm not ready, but I'm not sure. Essentially, but I'm not qualified. Now here's the very interesting thing about all these but I statements in the Bible. When they appear, God never disagrees with them. Like he doesn't say, oh Moses, come on man, like lighten up, you're actually a really good speaker. Never says that. Or, really, Abraham, trust me, look at you, 75's the new 65. Come on, you're not that old, right? God never does that, and that, that's what we do, right? Like, we're in cahoots with each other. So, like, whenever we confess a self-doubt, whenever we say, but I, most people will just rush into that space like, oh, don't be silly, you can do it. Years ago, I was sharing with a friend of mine that a relative of mine uh, learned of the role that I have in this community. And my relative got this look on their face and said, why would they have you do that, right? <laughs> Which is secretly what I'm asking every Sunday, believe me, okay? So now I didn't share that story with my friend thinking, Gosh, I need him to say, oh, Mike, please, you're so great. You're perfectly qualified and ready to go. But when I shared the story with him, he just sat there silently, just like, and I realized I was totally fishing for affirmation. Like, that's actually why I shared that. But my friend wasn't budging. He would not play along. He wasn't going to play this game with me, and neither does God play that game with us. And here's why. 
Because what qualifies us for God's invitation isn't our qualifications in the first place. In the first century, in the city of Corinth in Greece, there was a small ragtag community of Jesus followers. And I mean, it was a cast of characters. A lot of them were actually slaves. And most of them would have been on like the bottom half of the social ladder. You have to imagine like the kids picked last at recess. That's who these, these folks were. And so it shouldn't be surprising that the Apostle Paul writes them a letter to encourage them, all right? But what is shocking is how he goes about doing this. Check out how Paul describes the Corinthians to themselves in the opening of a letter written to encourage them. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Thank you, Paul, so kind. We're with you now, right? Like Paul is actually encouraging them to reflect on their disqualifications. Like, hey guys, how should we describe you? Wise? No. Uh, influential? Not really. Prestigious? Not at all, right? But Paul is totally unfazed by all of this. By all of this. He doesn't say, therefore, Let's be realistic about our expectations, right? Like, just please lower the bar and don't get your hopes up. That's not what he says. Paul says, and on the contrary, expect great things. Not because you have great things to offer to God, but because God has great things to offer through you. You see, here's the thing. After every but I, the Bible answers with a much more powerful, simple two-word phrase, but God, Paul continues, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, but God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong, but God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. But God, but God, but God. These two words point us to another reality, one flowing in a different direction from like normal human-powered life on earth. The world is all about the rich, the smart, the powerful, the pure, the pretty, the cool kids, the qualified. But what we find in the gospel of grace of Jesus is the opposite. One of my favorite writers translates Jesus' description of who is called and who is invited like this. Blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, the misshapen, deformed, the too big, the too small, the too loud, the bald, the fat, the old, for they are all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Blessed are the flunkouts and the dropouts and the burnouts, the broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the brain damaged and the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or the pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shove aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in a rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved, and the emotionally dead, and on and on and on. Because of the grace of God, our qualifications don't matter anymore, and our disqualifications don't disqualify us our shortcomings don't mean that we're gonna come up short or short circuit God's path for us or his plan for us because grace changes everything, everything. A while ago, my sister told me about a TV show that I wasn't familiar with called The Bear. And it is not a family show, but it is so beautiful and so, so brilliant. And it's a story of a young, like, 
world-renowned chef named Carmi, uh, who returns home to Chicago after his drug-addicted brother um, ends his own life and leaves him the, the local family shop, uh, the local family sandwich shop in Chicago. So here's the thing, Carmi doesn't just inherit the shop, he also inherits the employees, which is another, it's this ragtag band of old friends who are all misfits in all the worst ways. And they relate to one another in such volatile ways. I mean, because they're in so much pain and so much grief because their boss, their friend, the man who started the shop and ran it has just ended his own life. They're all in so much pain and so much grief that they actually, it's actually hard to watch at times, honestly. I was just telling some folks this morning, there, there are scenes I would have to fast forward through. I'm so triggered. There are so many great characters in this, in this uh, ensemble, but one of them, Richie, is especially like close to my heart because I know him. In some ways, I am him, and I certainly know a lot of people like him. He's clearly in enormous pain and grief. Having just buried his best friend, he's now estranged from his wife. He's disconnected from his young daughter, and he is just a chore to be around. Every scene he walks into, you're like, oh, what is gonna happen now? He's a chore to be around, much less to work with every day. Now, sensing Richie's anguish, Carmi extends him grace, gives him another chance, chance after chance, actually, keeps him around, and near the end of uh, season two, he actually sets up Richie with some friends of his. And so he, gives him an, he gets him an internship. So he gets him an internship. This broken, empty, offensive, immensely disqualified man gets an internship at one of the world's best restaurants in New York City. And for the first time in his life, Richie feels included. Like he feels valued. He's given a place to belong and a purpose to fulfill long before he's qualified. And step by step, he begins to change. Grace, doing what only grace can do. Enjoy, guys. It's way better than New York. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you say that to my mom. Don't you say that to my mom. It's just saying. It's too close. I think it's magic beans. Go. Four seconds. Three seconds. Uh, apple cider gets streak. Apple cider gets streak. That's my freaking boy right there. All right, let's go. Another. Go. Oh, come on. That's Bercy. Really? Wait. No. Velote derivative. That's an alamond. Ooh, yeah, it sure is. Oh, oh, Lincoln! Uh, what year did the restaurant open? 2012. Yes, and what year did we get our third star? 2012. Trick question. Nice try. Correct. And lastly, what were tonight's specials? We don't have specials. We do, however, have supplements, including tonight's caviar pairing. If you haven't seen the show, I'm not sure you can appreciate the power of that scene or the miracle here, and so I apologize. But the transformation 
that came from truly belonging and being treasured and included before he was qualified. It's, it is, it's miraculous. I was crying my eyes out when that scene came on. This man is so calloused, so lost. He's like the poster child for but I. And now, overjoyed, to the point where, you know, a middle-aged man is singing Taylor Swift, <laughs> right? And it, and it isn't just any song, by the way. It's like he suddenly gets what being unqualified yet called can mean. He suddenly sees what grace, dare I say, what life is all about, and he's singing it at the top of his lungs. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. And if you didn't catch that last shot, I have to explain it. It's his first day back in Chicago. And he wakes up before his alarm goes off. Set free from, he is now set free for a mission of grace. And believe me, Richie was anything and everything but qualified, but God. When we see but God in the Bible, it is always time to take note because a big reversal is coming. But God is the turning point of this passage that we're looking at, and it can be the turning point of each and every life. Whatever you're facing today, but God. But God. In Corinth, God is overturning expectations, elevating the lonely, changing life into death, and we see it over and over again in the Bible. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and later tells them this, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. The writer of the Psalm said, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus said with human beings it's impossible, salvation, goodness, ultimate justice, but with God all things are possible. But God means the world does not get the last word on who you can be or what you can do or how you will live. I can't, but God can. The world may tell you your situation will never change, your lack of education, status, money, health, power, eloquence will hold you back. Your missing resolve, your shaky willpower, your faulty faith, your indecisiveness, your history, your mistakes will always undermine you. That addiction will always enslave you. That depression will always defeat you. That failure will always haunt you. The future will always frighten you. But God, but God is calling, but God begs to differ. Maybe it's time to stop excusing ourselves from what we know God is inviting us into with our but I. Now I'm sure I'm not supposed to say it this way, but I don't know how else to put it. God is bigger than your butt. <laughs> Please er er don't put that on the video. <laughs> of course, of course we're not smart enough. We're not wise enough, we're not good enough, of course. But God has chosen the foolish and the meek, the lowly and the weak, the timid and the poor, the too loud and the not very polished, the unsophisticated and the troubled and the addicted or whatever else is going on in your life, your marriage, your children, your money, your health, and yes, even your faith to change the world through us. But God, when we just say yes, in spite of being unqualified, that is when we begin to change. Driving it again, searching for the water, hoping for the rain up and up. 
Down upon a canvas, working meal to meal, waiting for the chance to pick your own feel the better. Soaring high above the flood, it's in your blood. It's in your blood. Underneath the stone and belly, say, sitting with the poison takes away the pain. I've been up, I've been up singing. We're gonna get it, get it together right now. We're gonna get it, get it together somehow. We're gonna get it, get it together and fly. Suffer, how can people part? How can people struggle? How can people break your heart? Break your heart. Yes, I want to grow. Yes, I want to feel. Yes, I want to know. Show me how to heal it up. Heal it up. Try and see the forest things in every seed. Angels in the marble waiting to be free. Just need love. Just need love when the going gets rough Saying we're gonna get it, get it together right now We're gonna get it, get it together somehow We're gonna get it, get it together and fly Look, even the Apostle Paul wasn't qualified. He starts this letter to the Corinthians telling them, I've been in prison, I've been flogged, I've been on death's doorstep more than anyone you know. Paul lists his failures, his rejections, his problems and anxieties. He begins with the celebration of his disqualifications. He, he even admits, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In other words, Paul has an ego problem, like a self-esteem problem. It's way too high. And look, there are people who distance themselves from God and faith and the church because they have sincere questions and doubts, and I get that. If you've been a part of Storyline for long at all, you know we go right at those things. We try to address those things head on, not with easy answers, but we don't shy away from that reality. Other people distance themselves from God or church or faith because maybe there's some bad history. 
Maybe a church community in the past has wounded someone you love or maybe excluded or shamed you personally. And again, we get that. There are all kinds of issues that we address here head on, and that's one of them too. But there are also those of us who distance ourselves from God and faith and church because we feel like we aren't good enough. We are not qualified. Something about us, something in us, something that we believe or don't believe or struggle to believe or doubt or keep, do, keep doing or won't do disqualifies us. And I don't know what else the Bible can do to point out that this just doesn't matter. No one is good enough. No one is qualified. Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, and Paul had something bad wrong with him, like something that he begged God to take away, remedy, fixed, and God didn't. Now, we don't know, theologians and historians have argued for a long time, what exactly is this thorn that Paul has? But here's what it means at least, that Paul, the man responsible for the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, was also a failure at prayer multiple times. Paul, in fact, is a train wreck. He is a beaten, whipped, part-time preacher, part-time tent maker, conceit-prone, thorn-carrying, prayer-failing, self-confessed, weakling. And he doesn't hide any of that. Like, he leads with it. It's in his introduction, like, here's my credentials. Seriously, Paul, why? Why would anyone talk like that? One reason, two words, but God. But God. Paul goes on, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul isn't crazy. He just really believes this, as in trusts that grace is real. Next month, we're gonna do an entire series on how grace changes everything. And I think this talk has ended up becoming like the introduction for that series. But what an upside down, miraculous, freeing way to live. That is why, for Jesus' sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. What? Can we really live this way? And I think we all know somewhere deep within us that somehow we can. And it's not because weaknesses and insults and hardships are good. They're not. They're awful. But if our life is running on the grace of God, not on our qualifications, but his, that means when I am weak, then I am strong. See, here's the deal. Everyone has a calling, and everyone has a thorn. Now, it's true that some thorns, some people have more thorns than others. Think of poor Charlie Schoonfeld here with her dad, okay? (laughs) I mean, her, her thorn is her dad, apparently, <laughs> who thinks it's hilarious to take her on a roller coaster, right? Well played, Ryan, okay? But look, we, we all have a calling. We all have a thorn. We all have a calling. We all have a thorn. The question is, will we try to live on our own power, the purity of our own character, the strength of our own faith, by our own qualifications, If so, our life will be a thorn-centered but I. But if we will focus on our calling, what we know we are invited to live into, and focus on but God and his grace, he will lead us into and through every high and low place. I hope that we're seeing like the cosmic irony of our question. Because the only people not qualified to be baptized are those who think they are qualified.
beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So there are so many reasons to celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And for me, one of those is the number of folks who are involved in 12-step recovery programs that are, um, who, who call Storyline their home. And I've learned so much from them over the years. And one of my favorite things is often I'll be approached after a morning and they'll go, oh, that was step seven, or that was step nine, or that was step two. But I've learned that the first three steps go like this. One, admit we are powerless over alcohol, anger, lust, fear, food, anxiety, shopping, money, greed, fill in the blank. Like, just admit, life is unmanageable. Step two, trust that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And number three, make the decision to turn over our lives to God. Now, these three steps can be summed up like this. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. The way that we've tried to put it this morning, I can't, but I. God can, but God, and then our response. I I think I'll let him. That is what baptism is, and that is who it's for, the unqualified, but beloved children of God. Baptism is reenacting that story, our story of freedom. By immersing ourselves in God's grace, we lay it all down like our qualifications, our disqualifications, our best and our worst, and we are raised back to life. And it's true that we can't do that, but God can. We let him. It's a love story. Just say yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place and for this opportunity to be together. You come to us to rescue us, to set us free, to join us and to join us together on this desert path to the promised land that we call life. And along the way, we have and we will experience all kinds of obstacles and setbacks and we each of us carry with us all kinds of thorns. We have all kinds of reasons to focus on but I. I pray this morning that you will remind us of what your word says. Jesus was put to death on a cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him. May we lay down our lives before you, let you do what only you can do, and walk this path of the promise together, focused on you and your grace. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. From but I to but God. As we leave this morning, pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. If you're interested in baptism, we're going to be talking about it right down here. Thank you.